We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to another episode of Green with Envy. With me, your boy, Adam Taylor. As usual, joining me just like he does each and every time, it's my homie. It's a resident, the coach of the podcast. Sorry, when I'm butchering this intro, Mr. Greg Manakis. What's popping, Greg? Yeah, the one thing you can't say, even though we've become good friends, is you can't say my best friend because Will That's and I literally, yeah, Will and I have literally been best friends since we were like two years old. So um, I was I was going to attempt to do the Will intro after you did it, but I thought you did a really good job. But then I saw the confidence in it start to slip a little bit. And I was like, I'm going to let Adam be the one that messes it up. <laughs> but shout out to Will. We miss you, Will. We do, man. Will's out. Is Will in, Will's out in Puerto Rico right now, catching some rays, just chilling on the beach, probably drinking rum out of a coconut. I'm jealous as shit, dude. Dude, Will just, he lives the best life, man. He just like travels all the time. His girlfriend, uh, she's from Mexico. So uh, sometimes they'll go to like El Paso. Sometimes they'll go actually into Mexico. I think she's from Juarez. I'm not sure if she's from Juarez or not. But um, yeah, and then they travel to places. They're in Puerto Rico right now. Uh, Lorena, Will's girlfriend, her brother just posted this sick drone video of them like all in the pool. And then the drone just kind of fades away. And you just see they're like literally overlooking the ocean in the in the place that they're staying in um but it seems like will's having a good time man we miss you buddy yeah that's the that's the type of video that just makes you jealous though right you just like oh, man yeah. you look out your own window you just see the same houses you see monday to friday maybe you go away on the weekend for a little getaway man but yeah will's one of the nicest guys on the planet so if there's anyone that needs to live that life it's will i'm still jealous though will I, I agree, dude. And I was just back in Boston for a vacation. I was back there for a wedding. Uh, my girlfriend, Danielle, one of her high school friends just got, got married. And, you know, that was my vacation. I have a vacation planned in July as well, but it's like a family vacation. Will gets to do these like exotic vacations where he goes to <laughs> islands and he's like on the water. And that's like, well, that's what I need to do. I need to start saving up my commission checks, saving up the bleacher report checks so that my girlfriend and I can do something really nice where we're like on a beach somewhere. This is so I like to try and do at least one a year, right? Just go somewhere new. But obviously, we had the puppy this year and it was kind of, I don't want to get him. And then kind of just 
put him somewhere for like a couple of weeks while he's still young and like we're meant to be bonding and stuff. So we kind of said not this year. Last year we done Malaga, that was dope. Uh next Where's year. That? So that's the south of Spain. Okay. So it's it's pretty like you're so far south or southwest or wherever, but like you're not too far from like Portugal. So it's hot as hell. It's um I tell you what, there was certain parts reminded me very much of like Los Angeles. There was like that. Obviously, you're in Spain, so just Spanish influence. But it was very like big and open, right on the ocean. There was a big marina and eating your food at the right on the water every day. So it was dope. And it's like two hours away. Hop on a plane. Yeah. The only problem was when you're landing, the airport is like in a canyon type of thing. So you come over these mountains and then you just have to drop out the sky. Boom. Like Wakanda. yeah, it's just a rough landing, man. Like, <laughs> so rough. You're just like, man, we were in the sky like 32 seconds ago. Oh, man. I, the, all this vacation talk has me, like, really wanting to be on a beach. It's, it's weird because, like, what, since my girlfriend and I started dating, like, we started dating probably, like, two or three months before the pandemic began. Probably actually more like five months before the pandemic began. So we didn't have time to actually, like, go on any vacations together. And then we we were both teachers at the time. So in the summertime especially during COVID, we just wanted to be around family. So we would just drive back from Austin to Boston, which is like a 32 hour drive. And then like, before you know it, our summer's over. Like we did get to spend a little bit of time down Cape Cod and like a little bit of time on the beach. But for the most part, it's like very much kind of like more functional vacations where you're going for an express purpose to see family versus like, this is pure leisure. And I think that's what we need is we just need one of those vacations. We go to like Cancun or Tulum, something like that, where we're on a beach chilling. We have the dogs with somebody that we trust. Cause as we spoke before, I had my dogs uh, with, with a buddy over the weekend and they spent, they had a little bit too much fun at uncle Brett's apparently. Cause my <laughs> dog blaze was very, very sick this week, which was horrible, horrible, uh, experience when your dog is just like thrown up everywhere and you're completely helpless. But that's one of the things where I want to go on this vacation seven to 10 days, just straight up chilling. Uh, coconut, you say coconut with rum in it. That sounds pretty good, man. Yeah. You see, what blows my mind is, and it is very good, by the way. What blows my mind is the places that I imagine to be like, like the places that I deem as like exotic vacations to you guys are normal. And the places that you deem as like exotic vacations to me are super attainable because of just the geographic. So, like, I'm like, man, a place I've always wanted to go is Miami Beach. You know what I mean? I've always mm. wanted, like, ever since I was a kid and Will Smith released that song, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I need to go to Miami at least once. Hawaii's another place. Like, these are all super attainable for you. And then for me, it's like, I could say I'm going to Skiathos next year, which is a place one of my friend's brothers has been posting photos from, just a little Greek island. And I'm like, dude, how much did it cost you to get there? He's like, dude, we did the whole holiday for like, you know, in dollars, like 2K for like 10 days. And I'm like, that's dirt cheap, man. It's so, pretty good. But then I say that to someone in America, they're like, man, I'd love to go to Greece. That sounds so exotic. And I'm like, dude, it's just where your, where your location is, it completely changes where you actually want to go. Like, I'm settling for this Greek island where I want to be in Hawaii. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And then you guys are like, we're settling for a, a trip down to Mexico, to Tijuana. And I'm like, dude, I kill to go to Tijuana. Right. <laughs> it, it just change, It depends where you are, man. Well, Adam, I'm going to do my best will here. All right. So you you, you rate my will impression here. Speaking of vacations, the Boston Celtics have been on vacation for a couple weeks now, and there's been a lot that has come out since uh, the Celtics ended their season against the Miami Heat. Adam, how do you rate my Will impression? 
I'd give it a solid seven seven out of ten. And the way that you found that the way that you found that transition was just pure genius, man. That's why Will's the best. That's why Will's the best. But yeah, let's get let's get into talking about the seas, man. Yeah, a lot of news have, has come out uh, recently. We can start with the big news. I think the big news being uh, the Celtics have bolstered that coaching staff. You know, that was one of the big talking talking points throughout the season. Obviously, with Missoula uh, taking over the head coaching role, Will Hardy departing, Ime Adoka being suspended and then fired, and then the three coaches, uh, Ben Sullivan, Aaron Miles, and Mike Moser, you know, with not a lot of experience being the right-hand men for Joe Missoula, and obviously Damon Sotomayor, you know, leaving in the middle of the season. So a lot of upheaval in that coaching staff, and the Celtics made it a priority. Brad Stevens talked about it. He wanted to add uh, veteran assistant coaches, and he has uh, fulfilled that promise adding 53-year-old Sam Cassell and 38-year-old Charles Lee to the coaching staff. Sam Cassell obviously was part of that 08 championship team. He's been under Doc Rivers uh, pretty much his entire coaching career. And then Charles Lee, most recently under Coach Bud in Milwaukee. Adam, when you hear the, the news that we finally have veteran assistant coaches on that coaching staff, how do you feel? I wish we had a signboard where I could be like, hallelujah. Um <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an admission. I remember, like, and I admitted this on Twitter as well, the Ben Sullivan and Aaron Miles moving to Houston, that completely went under my radar. I remember the report that they were, you know, potentially going and Imo Doku was going to reach out. I remember that. I never saw, like, it was such an under-the-radar move that those two guys went. Like, there wasn't, like, a big announcement. It just did, it didn't hit me in the Slack channels that I'm in. Didn't come across my news desk for some of the sites that I work at. So that was when I was looking, like I even tweeted out earlier the Celtic staff and I had Aaron Miles and Ben Sullivan in there. I had to delete the tweet because I looked like an idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, things happen. It's very rare things slip through the cracks with me, but it happened. But I just want to put my hands up there and say, yeah, I'm, I missed that one. Um, I will say that, you know, Sam Cassell for me was one of the best assistant coaches in the NBA. Charles Lee, there's a reason that he's been up for so many head coaching jobs. And just because he hasn't got one yet doesn't mean he won't. 38 years old to be, you know, let's put this in perspective. I'm 35. Greg, what, you're 33? 34. 34. So the dude's four years older than you, three years older than me, interviewing for head coaching jobs in the NBA. So to be that young and to be in a position to actually attend these interviews and be in consideration, you have to be ridiculously good you have to be like to be in the coaching in the nba you're elite to be a head coach in the nba you're top tier so bringing him in bringing spree um yeah spree well i don't know why springing cassell in all of a sudden everything starts to line up where not only do you have talented assistants but you have two voices that have both been around the league in the league you've replaced damon stoudemire's player kind of relations role but more than you've kind of doubled up on it. You've really improved your, because where, where the Celtics are at the moment, they don't really need that player development coach no more, right? Like they're pretty much who they are is who they are. Now it's about getting the message across, having a go between the players and the coaches. So things don't get lost in translation. And, and I think that these two guys coming in, Cassell and Lee are going to be huge. Absolutely huge. I just want to point out as well. I know I'm rambling here. Um, I want to give a shout out to John Corrales because he pointed this out. So just to give him the props for me kind of mentioning it, I don't want to be stealing no one's content. He he made a point of being like, 
another aspect of this is not only are these two highly ranked coaches, not only are these two former players, but they're also two people of color, which now gives them more the bench more of a diversity. And that's something that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been very vocal about and having more diversity in the NBA, having more diversity on their bench. And the way John Corrales worded it was, the Celtics are kind of speaking to their superstars, saying, look, we hear you, we understand you, but without doing it, they're, they're putting their money where their mouth is and bringing in guys that can relate to them. So I think that's a big, big, big factor in both of these highs. Yeah, for sure. I, I hadn't even considered that. Didn't see the Corrales uh, report or tweet or however you, you you saw that information. But that that's a really good point. And it's one thing for the organization to like hear the fans and hear all the criticism of the coaching staff throughout the year. But your point about them listening to the players, I think, is the more important thing because fans are going to say what fans are going to say. Podcasters and analysts are going to say what we're going to say. But at the end of the day, it's the players on the team that you need to listen to, right? Because the fans, we, we're, we're as you said, we're not elite right? We're just guys that are talking about the game. We're trying to be better analysts and um, be better talking heads for everybody out there that comes to Green with Envy, that comes to Celtics blog, wherever they get the content. But like the players are the ones that they really need to listen to. And I think Brad Stevens doing a really good job with that. I wonder if that factored into um, Stevens' decision, you know, at the beginning of the year when everybody was clamoring for Stevens to come out of the front office to be the head coach, if he, if that was one of the things that factored in. But um, I did, you, you brought up Jalen Brown. I did want to talk a little bit about Jalen Brown. I know that you tweeted out today, you're kind of against the idea of super maxing Jalen. You, you are okay with maxing Jalen. Uh, I just want to touch on the Jalen Brown conversation for a couple minutes here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, man, go ahead. I've got a lot of opinions on this. They're quite polarizing, and I'm not doing it to be polarizing. Like, I genuinely believe what I'm saying. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, I want to hear from you. Yeah, so I'm just like, look, I understand that if you're eligible for a Supermax, you, you deserve to be at least offered the Supermax. I understand that train of thinking that everybody's putting out there. You know, J- Jalen Brown put the work in. He got back and got named as All-Star for the second time. He made the All-NBA second team. He was, at times, the Celtics' best player through the season when Jason Tatum went through slumps. The problem is, in my opinion, a Supermax guy should be an undisputed number one guy on a team. Or at least, like talent-wise, should be capable of being an undisputed number one guy on a team. Not any team, not a rebuilding team. If you're Supermaxing someone, we're talking the biggest amount of money that an NBA player can legitimately earn in a contract. That needs to be your numerate uno. There should only be one of those guys per team. I think that's part of why the NBA are trying to bring this new CBA in to to spread the talent around. More top-tier talent can then get Supermax because there's more talent across the league. I don't don't see Jalen Brown as as a definitive number one on a contending team. I just don't. And for that reason, I don't believe that he should be extended to Supermax. When you factor in the, the new CBA, the second tax apron, as Keith Smith that was on the last episode, or the episode before that maybe, um, said it's the super tax. He likes to call it the super tax. And one of the reasons is, if you're over the second tax apron, you your pick gets put back to the last pick in the draft, your upcoming pick. You Your mid-level exception is... I think you lose it or it's down to 5 million. I've, no, I don't think you can use it at all once it's in. Um, you also, any trades that you make, you can only bring back the salary that you're sending out. And then when you're signing players off of like waivers, they can't be making more than the minimum when they got waived. So you're not picking up, a ke- if you're not doing the Kevin Love to Miami deal that happened this summer. So all of those reasons, when you factor it in that Jalen Brown's Supermax contract will play a big part in Boston being over that second tax apron, factored in with the fact he's not a definitive number one on a contending team, talent-wise, I'm completely out. I just don't think it's a smart cap utilization. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate for Jalen Brown because any other year, if, if they hadn't come out with this new extremely prohibitive CBA, you would say, yeah, of course you supermax Jalen Brown. Like he deserves it. You, he, he made all NBA was a second team or third team this year. I forget which one he ended up making. Um, but you know, with JB, he's, he's just not one of the top 15 guys in the league. I, it, there's nothing wrong with saying that he's a top 25, maybe top 30 guy in the league. And if you're giving top five top 10 money to a guy that's not a top 10 player it's really difficult to build a team with this um, prohibitive cba that that's coming into play here it's just unfortunate that it's happening as jalen brown eventually has earned that chance to make supermax money because if you remember jalen brown's first extension we didn't max extend jalen brown that was one of the issues with that initial extension i think it was like five million dollars underneath what was the max at the time for jalen brown so he's already taken a hometown discount so if you're going to ask him again when he's earned this supermax to say you know what jb 
we're not going to give you the Supermax because of the CBA. I know you're an intelligent guy. You understand how hard it will be to build a roster because of this. But what we can offer you is the max. If I'm Jalen Brown, I'm just like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, you got to trade me now. Because if you're Jalen Brown, you feel that you deserve this money. And it's just really unfortunate that it's happening the year he is eligible for it. Because any other year, I would have said, absolutely, you extend Jalen Brown Supermax. But if we're not going to extend that and we offer him the max, I would not I would not be surprised if Jalen Brown is on the move this offseason. Because if I were him, I, that would be a, a hard pill to swallow. I think that it's worth remembering as well that it's not a we offer you the max or we offer you the super max. You can offer anywhere in between those two. So the max is 30% of the cap. The super max is 35% of the cap. You can come in with an offer that's 32% of the cap. Now that's still 2% more than what any other team can offer. Mm -hmm. right? And when you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, a percentage is a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a whole heap of money, right? So there is a world where the Celtics come in maybe at 32% of the cap with a 3% escalator where it's like, hey, these are incentives. Mm -hmm. But even then, to me, that's still too much. Like, the problem is as well, you, I've, I've seen a lot of people say this, like, across Instagram, across Twitter, it's just everywhere. Jalen Brown made an All-NBA second team. That means he's a top 10 player in the league. It just doesn't work like that. The All-NBA teams are positional. You're one of the top players in your position. That doesn't mean you're one of the top 10 top 15 guys in the league because some elite guards missed out some elite bigs missed out and it, it just works that way that's just how it goes yes i think Jalen brown has earned the right to be supermax eligible i just don't think personally that he's at the level of somebody i would feel comfortable supermaxing he's a he's a really like he's one of the best you know being top 20 in the nba top 25 is no joke like that means you're better than 375 other guys in the league mm. or whatever maybe even more than that for 425 if you're top just 450 players in the league if you're top 25 you're better than the other 425 that's max caliber to me that's a maximum 30 percent of the cap you're top 25 in the league for me to be comfortable with a super max you've got to be in that top 10 that yeah. that that one percent do you know what i mean then i'm okay with the super max i'm like dude you don't lose a top 10 guy so yeah, I think a max for Jalen, a super max for Jason, I think that's fair. But obviously, as you said, it's very unlikely that Jalen takes that, especially when any other team in the NBA can offer him that same deal. Absolutely. And getting to another guy this offseason that the Celtics have to consider how much they want to pay him, um, that being a free agent, is Grant Williams. And there was some news that came out about Grant Williams uh, per Woj that he is getting hand surgery. He was dealing with a tear of the radial collateral ligament of the third metacarpal phalangeal joint. How did I do with that scientific term? Uh, and I, I just want to start with Grant first. Reaction to the news that Grant Williams is getting this hand surgery, that he was playing through that injury. He's also playing through a ligament strain in his elbow that I think uh, Jared Weiss had reported back in March. So what are your initial thoughts on Grant's injury uh, report? I feel sorry. I, I apologize to Joe Mazzula. Profusely apologize to Joe Mazzula. I was very, very, very vocal about how Grant should be playing, and Joe was basically being an idiot for not playing Grant. Clearly, that shows the difference between somebody with locker room. Well, even the guys with locker room access didn't know this. Like, it was a very finely kept secret. It makes a lot more sense now. And the elbow injury, I kind of trace back to when we was all there for the Lakers game. 
Because if you remember, that's when Grant caught that stinger on his elbow in the third. Um, I think it was. I think he had a stinger on his hand in the second, and then a stinger on his elbow in the third. And then his his shooting kind of started to slump from there, if I remember correctly, because that led us up to the to the trade to the All Star break, and that you know there was like a game or two before the All Star break after I got back from Boston, and then Grant just absolutely slid. He kind of free fell. So I think that elbow injury was picked up during the Lakers game. And then, you know, Joe's done the best he can. He kind of shouldered a lot of the criticism for for not playing Grant without telling everybody Grant was hurt because that could tank Grant's trade value as well. It could it could tank his ability to negotiate in free agency. So, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, credit to Grant. He was still playing deep into the postseason with a couple of injuries. Shows you how tough he is. Shows you how committed he was to trying to win a championship. Mm-hmm. I think that, that uh, you know, both guys deserve a... A little bit more respect, uh, and especially Joe Mazzula. Uh, m- my apologies. Look at that. Adam Taylor apologizing to Joe Mazzula on a podcast. That's on wax. It happened, everybody. Um, you know, we haven't been the biggest fans of Joe this year, but, um, you know, that news with Grant Williams having had or well, getting the, the surgery on his hand, having played through that since March, it's actually kind of interesting your point where it's like, are, would he be hurting his trade value? by reporting the injury earlier than now, um, it, I, I feel like it would have done a, a lot better for Grant to probably say that he was dealing with this injury throughout that time because everyone's just thinking like, oh, Grant Williams is a $20 million a year player early in the year. And then people are saying, oh, is he even worth 10 by the end of the end of the season? So you know, if, if, if the Celtics had come out and said, Grant is really struggling with this hand injury, he's playing through it, he's going to gut it out. To me, I think that actually probably helps um, his his value on the open market. But now that we do know Grant Williams is getting this surgery, um, Grant seems like he wants to be back in Boston. He seems like he enjoys the culture. He loves Jason Tatum. They seem to be really good buddies. What are you willing to offer Grant Williams in the offseason knowing that we are now playing under the super tax um, implications? Yeah, yeah. Uh, first things first, I want to circle back to the trade talk, um, the trade value in a moment, just to go through my, ment- my my kind of mental reasoning. Yeah. In terms of contract, though, I'm drawing the line, before the CBA, I was drawing the line at $18 million a year, which was like a super overpay in my opinion. But sometimes you overpay to keep a core together, especially when that one piece is so multifunctional within a role. Uh, now I'm kind of drawing the line at that 14.5 range. I feel like that's slightly over what Grant is worth in terms of what he produced this year compared to year three. We've only had one really solid year from Grant. That was year three. Year two was mm-hmm. an absolute clusterfuck. Year one, he was a rookie. This year, we've had a bit of both. So obviously, now we know why. So that 14.5, you're kind of paying for what he could be rather than what he has shown over the course of a four-year career so far. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, and you said you wanted to talk a little bit about the the trade value. Yeah, I just didn't want to take up all the airways about uh, no, you're good. giving you you're a good. chance to share. Uh, yeah, so my, my kind of train of thought there with Grant was if you announce the injury, say you announce it just before the postseason, now you're under pressure to shut Grant down. So now the Celtics have to shut Grant down. He struggled from February onwards, so his trade value was declining from February all the way through to round mm. one. Now you shut him down, he never has a chance to kind of prove himself during the playoffs again like there was some games where he done well against them there was some games where he you know showed that fight and desire against jimmy butler in the conference finals and then you announce it and now everybody kind of 
compartmentalizes his shooting struggles and his in like inability to get consistent minutes with oh well he was playing hurt and now that value starts to rise again because you're like he toughed it out he he sacrificed for the team he's a team first guy you start to kind of level that value back out whereas if you shut him down all that anybody would rem- remember was man for 35 45 percent of the year grant sucked and yeah. that to me would have hurt his trade value more than wait until the end of the season and then announce and get after it kind of played through pain a little bit whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Definitely. No, that makes sense. Yeah, and that 14.5 number, I think that's probably a good a good line to set uh, with Grant. I agree, man. Like, his his production year three gave, was is enough to say like we've seen enough out of you to know that you have the potential in you to earn that fourteen point five based on his performance this year. I in like over the entirety of the four years, I'd probably keep him around the Robert Williams number ten to eleven million. Um, that's probably where I would hope Grant Williams would accept. I don't know what the the market for Grant Williams is going to be in this offseason if someone's going to come over the top, considering that all teams have to consider the the new CBA. It's not just the Celtics that have to consider that. So, you know, with Grant, is the new CBA going to hurt his overall value around the league? We don't know, but I like the 14.5 number. If that's what we end up offering Grant Williams, I would be cool with that. And hopefully Grant is here to stay. Um, but you did mention Grant going up against Jimmy Butler in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I feel like we do have to talk about the NBA Finals because the Miami Heat are all the role players, the undrafted guys, dude. They're all turning back into the players that we all know that they probably are. Caleb Martin is not a 19-point-per-game guy. He's averaging six in the NBA Finals after averaging 19 against the Boston Celtics. Gabe Vincent down from 34.5 minutes to 30 minutes a game in the NBA Finals, all because of a very simple coaching adjustment and just anytime 
um, anytime Gabe Vincent is on a bigger player, they are punishing him in the post and making life hell for him. So that Spolster has to make a decision. Do I go with Gabe Vincent, who gives me a little bit more on offense, or do I have to go to a Kyle Lowry who can hold up on the defensive end in the post a little better than Gabe Vincent can do? But man, like when I watch this finals and I've watched every game, it just kills me when I see the basic adjustments that the Nuggets have made to take guys like Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin uh, like out of the equation. All they do, all they're doing with Caleb Martin is just not allowing him to play in space and to like make those quick quick decisions. Right? They're just like probably staying a step closer to him than the Celtics did. The Celtics were just like, we're going to bet Caleb Martin can't do this for seven games. And eventually, you know, a guy's showing you who he is. And he's like, I'm a guy that can put up these numbers if you don't respect me as a player. And we didn't respect him as a player for seven straight games. He ended up putting up 19 a game in the Eastern Conference Finals and was probably the best player in that series for the Heat. So when you, when you, you know, get wind of the NBA finals, when you're seeing what's happening, what are your initial thoughts, man? Cause for me, I just, it just breaks my heart all over again. Yeah. I mean, first of all, talent wins out, right? Like this is a series where both teams are well coached. Both teams execute their game plans exceptionally well. And when both teams do that, talent wins and Denver is a more talented team. I see a lot of people talking about how Miami's role players have regressed. I want to kind of give a shout out to Aaron Gordon, who has been, in my opinion, one of the most improved players throughout the entire playoffs. Suddenly, Aaron Gordon is a legit defender. Like He's, ta- he's like the primary point of attack guy for Denver. He's putting up points. He's playing with, with pace, scoring threes, scoring around the rim. He's doing everything that people thought Aaron Gordon could do when he was in Orlando, but just everyone knew that Gordon was never that primary option. And it's taken a while for him to adapt and to figure out what his role is in Denver. But now all of a sudden, he's such a vital piece there. So I think that Aaron Gordon deserves some flowers. In terms of just attacking Miami, I feel like it's a lot more to do with they've ground Miami's confidence out, right? Mm. Denver come into game one, they win game one. Miami come into game two, give Denver the first home defeat of the the entire postseason, even the series up. Denver go to Miami and crush them twice. Twice. Yeah. Now, you've got to remember, Miami only lost their first home game against the Celtics. And I think that was, what was that, game three? No, game four. Game four, yeah. Game they four. lost two to the Celtics at home. Yeah. But before then, they, they were undefeated at home too. But I feel like Denver are just playing with a bit more force. I think that Mike Malone, I don't think he's out coaching Spo. I don't think that's the case. I just think Malone's got more weapons at his disposal and he's utilizing them correctly the celtics had more weapons at their disposal they were just used incorrectly this the scheme doesn't fit what the celtics are doing and we had those conversations this is what happens now watching denver when you run things through your best player when you put your best player okay it's different with Jokic because Jokic, you could put Jokic on the moon and he'd still find you on a pinpoint pass it wouldn't matter but the point being is Jokic is being put in positions to win they're running wedge actions to get Jokic down on the post. And what happens when Jokic is on the post? It's one of the most efficient shots in basketball. Bro, they are, yeah, as uh, as JJ Redick uh, blasted Stephen A. Smith for right, pointing that and out. I but, thought that was brilliant. Oh, that was so good. I, the fact that he knew that just like off the off the top is pretty impressive. But they, they don't just run wedge actions for Jokic, right? They run freaking double pin downs for Jokic. They have yeah. them coming. Yeah, they, they do all these different actions for Jokic that he – 
pretty much can do anything on the court. But when you when you compare and contrast the Celtics offense versus the the Nuggets offense, it's not even close. But the biggest thing, especially in the playoffs, is you have to have some sort of bread and butter to come back to. And the Celtics never really found what that bread and butter was, right? They they during the regular season, it was the this um, pace and space, driving kick action, shooting all those threes. But when when that wasn't available in the playoffs, when teams were able to scheme for that, the Celtics didn't have anything to really fall back on. We had some moments where Jason Tatum ran some really good pick and roll. Marcus Smart in the post was was effective whenever he did that. Um, getting Jalen Brown off of slot drives and baseline drives always a good always a good decision there. But the Nuggets have two things that they can go to at any point, right? Just give the ball to Jokic at the nail, or they can go pick and roll with Murray and Jokic. And both of those are almost impossible to guard. And I think going into next season, that's one of the things the Celtics have to figure out is if if we if we don't have an action that is unguardable, like the 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 Nuggets action with Murray and Jokic, what can we do? Because we need to figure out what our bread and butter is going into next season, man. Yeah, under Rudoka, it was that Rob Williams, Jason Tatum pick and roll. That, that yeah. They ran it on the sides. It was a side pick and roll with Rob setting the screen, Tatum coming over or rejecting, depending on how the defense reacted. And then you've either got Rob available for a lob, or you've got Tatum getting downhill and then just doing his thing around the rim. And it felt unguardable at times. This season, it wasn't there. They didn't really run it as much. I get Rob wasn't available for a large portion of the se- season. I also want to point out, and I don't know where I heard this or saw it, but somebody. I, I, so if I did, I'd credit them. But a good comment I kind of saw, or a good discussion, was coming into the season, Missoula had three days to throw together a coaching plan. It was Brad Stevens mm-hmm. that spoke about this during the end of season press conference. I credit Brad Stevens. And he threw together an entire game plan, offensive, defensive, in like three, four days. Now he's got the entire offseason. He's going to be joined by Cassell, by Lee, and then by the remaining staff that are still on the roster. And they're going to be able to sit down. They're going to be able to figure out some different ways to play, some different defensive actions, offensive actions. I want. I still, to this day, want to see a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown pick and roll. Obviously, the ball in Tatum's hand and Brown is the screener. Brown's not a great screener, though. So I think this is. I think this is like a core part of the issue of not running that two-man game, right? Tatum's the better screener, but he's also the better ball handler and decision maker. So he can't screen for himself. Mm-hmm. So Brown can improve being a screener during the offseason. I feel like that's going to be the unguardable action because who who do you pick up? How do you deal with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on a side pick and roll together? It's just going to be so tough. Yeah, and I, I think the initial pushback that you'll probably hear a lot of people say is, oh, they're they're like size, so it's very easy for team, teams to switch that. But you can always figure out a way to, you know, get a pre-switch before that, get a smaller guy on a Jalen Brown so that, he you know, it's a point guard, uh, guard and Jalen Brown as he's going in to set that screen. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, Tatum's ability as a screener is something that I want to see the Celtics lean into a little bit more. And obviously, as you said, Jalen Brown's probably not the best uh, decision maker, run and pick and roll. So who's going to be that guy that's able to get into an action with JT as the screener because he's so valuable in his ability to set solid screens, roll into space, or pop out to three. He's pretty much unguardable when you when you have him as a screener. So I'd like to see the Celtics go to that a little bit more uh, next year. I don't know if it will be Derek White that's going to be the point of attack guy going off the Tatum screen because then you're, there is more of a natural just um, ability or inability for teams to want to uh, just switch that action because they don't want to have 
Derek White's probably smaller guy switching on to Tatum. You don't have to do as much to kind of facilitate that or manufacture that um, the 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 size di- differential with the switch. Um, but Adam, we are about thirty five minutes here into the pod. So we said we were going to do about 30. We're at 35. Is there anything else that you want to talk about today before we wrap up? No, I just want to point out that if you want to avoid the like-sized downside of a Tatum and Brown pick and roll, you're on a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Spain pick and roll, where the ball handler receives a back screen off somebody and then the back screener pops out. So you can throw Grant Williams in there. And now all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. There's a switch. There has to be a switch. The only way yep. you defend the space, then... All of a sudden, everything's fixed. The Celtics ran so much Spain actions last season that it does, that it's ingrained into them. Run yeah, that. they they know they know the Spain like the back of their hand. They know uh, Ram actions like the back of their hand. They yeah. can always go back to those things that we didn't see a lot this year. No, we didn't see a lot of Ram, especially they used to do um one I used to like was they'd do a Ram screen and then the guy coming off the down screen would ghost the first screen and set a pin down for a shooter to curl off the corner. And that used to just cause absolute nightmares for guys. They didn't run that barely ever, you know. But if you want to get away from that, hey, Tatum Brown a similar size. How's the pick and roll going to work? You just throw it in a Spain action, and then things just figure themselves out. Other than that, I just want to say that I miss basketball. I miss Celtics basketball. That's what I miss. Yeah, there was like a couple of days where I was like, you know what, I needed this break. I needed the ability to, you know, have a life and just do normal, normal things where my entire schedule wasn't based off of the Celtics and off of the next podcast I have to record, the next thing I have to write. Um, so it, it's been nice for for like the initial reprieve, but now I'm just watching the finals. I'm like, damn, I really wish I could see the Celtics in their second NBA finals to see what Jason Tatum could have done if he didn't sprain his ankle. Um, you know, just see Jalen Brown versus Jamal Murray, just to see that because. You know, coming into the season, I had Brown above Murray. I think that ranking is probably flip flop now. When you see what Jamal Murray has done in this postseason, I definitely I, I'm excited to do the um, end of season player rankings with you and Will. I think that will be a fun pod that we have scheduled here in in the next week or two. Um, yeah, but if, if if that's all we got to talk about, I do want to take a second to plug a new song that everyone's going to hear right now, my man. Um, my question to you, Adam. I know that you retweeted everything. Have you had a chance to listen to the new Black Sheep Optimist release, Questions and Lies? No, I'm not even going to try and lie. I've listened to the... Um, honestly, I told you before the show, I've had some things going on this past yeah. week. Um, so that's on my to-do list for this week. But I have seen all of the social media clips that you've posted. I didn't just retweet them or post them to my IG. So I sat there and listened and watched. I, I very much like the aesthetic of the video where you're sitting there with the book and you kind yeah. of... But I haven't listened to the full track yet. That's being genuinely honest. Are you still on your um, gym kick, like fitness goals, going back to the gym? Yeah, that's uh, obviously got put on hold for a week. Yeah. yeah. Throw it on your playlist. I think it's a perfect song to get you pumped up at the gym. Um, And with that, we are going to play you out with a new song from my band down here in Austin, Texas. We are called Black Sheep Optimist. There's a great write-up of of the song on KUTX.org, which is the NPR station down here in Austin, Texas. This one is called Questions Last.